Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. If you'd like to meet others from the Take On Board community, there are still a few places available for the Take On Board breakfast on Wednesday the 20th of May. Early bird tickets until 11th of May. I would really love to see you there. The link to book is in the show notes or come and join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where you'll find the link there. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together, we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. So today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Dr. Emily Moore about being an effective board member and the role of a board in a crisis. First, let me tell you about Emily. Emily is on the boards of Metrolinx, which is a provincial crown corporation providing regional commuter rail and bus services for Toronto, and Chemtrade Logistics, a Toronto stock exchange listed industrial chemical organisation. She is also finishing up on Heltech, a regional innovation not-for-profit. And she's formerly been a director of St Mildred's Lightbourne School, Canadian Society for Chemical Engineering, Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council, and the Committee for Research Partnerships. Emily is a professional engineer, professor and board member working at the intersection of technology and business and education. After more than 20 years in industry, she is now director of the Troost Institute for Leadership Education in Engineering at the University of Toronto. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Emily. Great, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Emily, before we explore further about governing in a crisis... I would love to just dig a little bit deeper about you. Tell me, what was young Emily like? And when did you get your first inkling that you might end up as a board director? So young Emily was the uh, stereotype. We don't say bossy anymore. We say leadership potential. Like I, I was born in charge. I was the oldest of three. I had two younger brothers who I loved organizing. And I loved organizing fairs or garage sales or whatever it might be that I loved organizing. And that went all the way through school, student politics, and always was that uh, leader with a capital L wanting to make a difference, uh, a strong sense of duty, but also a strong sense that 
I had a really good idea of what I wanted to get done and tended to be putting myself in places to get that done. And so that started very, very early for me and went all the way through school, through uni, doing student government and things. So I always had a a lot of energy for leadership. And uh, my first inkling that I would be on a board, I don't think I really even knew what boards were until I was working. So had matured and calmed down a little bit and had always been involved in a lot of volunteer things. And so my girls' school that I had gone to as a child and had been the head girl of, after I had done my PhD and I was back working in research, they invited me to join the board. And so my first board was being on a volunteer board. And I really went in with not a great sense of what was involved in being a board. And that's really where I learned about that concept of governance and all those pieces. It's interesting to hear that that school board, and even I think you said you're on some of the student governance organisations as well. So that role in governance can extend way back. So how old were you when you were on those student governance so I was head girl at, I guess, 16, 17. And then when I was in university, I got involved pretty quickly on faculty council. So that would be setting policy for the faculty. I was a student rep on that. And then on sort of the student government board in various positions. And finally was the president of the university student government to my final year. So all the way through, I was involved. And I saw I would have interacted with the board of Queen's University where I went but I didn't really understand the governance role that they played per se. Um, I did more on the faculty side, but on the the governing board, I think I saw it as more of an advisory board, uh, even though actually like many boards, they were in charge of hiring the principal. So they had that same sort of, you know, hire the CEO role. Thinking about those different roles that we have and what the governance experience is that we get from them, often people downplay them, whereas in fact, they are some incredibly vital governance concepts and subjects and so on that you deal with in those organisations. Absolutely. And I think, well, certainly the private school board and the university board, the people that I was serving on the board with, at the time, I don't think I realised how impressive they were, but they were, you know, very significant people in Canadian business. And so I got to know people and build relationships with people that are, you know, still at the top of the Canadian business establishment. And at the time I was, you know, a student who was mostly just wanting to challenge things on that board, but uh, they gave me great advice and great um, mentorship over the years. And some of them I'm still in touch with today. But now I look back and I think, oh my goodness, I had no idea how impressive these people were. (laughs) So it's a great training ground. Well, it's interesting, I think, because often, you know, when you've had more experience and then you see young people coming through and you can see those that have got that spark or that, you know, just that thing for governance and leadership and so on. So you're probably doing exactly the same, I'm guessing, for some of the younger people who are coming through the system now and, and giving them a bit of a hand up as well. Yeah, certainly through the institute that I'm a part of now at the university, it's it's really exciting because I get to work with students who are leading their clubs, leading their organizations, but then also going and representing at faculty council. So I'm now at faculty council with young Emily's coming in and uh, making the same mistakes, but also learning the same lessons that I learned. And it's been pretty exciting to see them stepping up and their passion. Uh, You know, the youth always have passion, which is so great. And I heard in there also that you're, you know, the oldest of three. And I'm just wondering that whether that eldest child still plays out. Now as an adult, does it still play out with your two younger brothers, did you say? Two younger brothers, yeah. My husband is the youngest 
of four. And so we say that we're the perfect couple because I'm used to bossing people around and being ignored. And he's used to being bossed around, but ignoring. And, and so neither of us gets all that upset by the, you know, we're kind of in that same dynamic. So my brothers have gone on to be incredibly accomplished. uh, So they don't need a whole lot of advice from me. And it's been kind of neat, especially actually in some of my board work, my brother is a corporate lawyer. And so I've actually called him up for advice as I've been trying to sort out whether to go on to a certain board or a certain, I get involved in a certain action. And he's been able to give me coaching and advice. So it's been nice to have that um, equals finally. (laughs) You know, as the youngest in my family, I can tell you there was great joy when one of my older sisters was finally referred to as, oh, you're Helia's sister, rather than me always being, oh, you're Ingrid's sister, you're Kirsten's sister. So uh, yeah, I get where that that flip around comes sometimes. There is great joy for the youngest. (laughs) Absolutely. So so we're recording this on the 28th of April, 2020. And you're in Toronto, I'm in Melbourne, Australia. I'm wondering if you can just tell us what's the state of play at the moment for where you are in relation to COVID-19, because it is a topic, obviously, on everyone's lips at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I'm in Toronto, uh, Ontario. Ontario is the largest province in Canada, and Toronto is the largest city in Canada. And so, and I should know the population off the top of my head, but I want to say Toronto is probably about an 8 million, 9 million uh, greater Toronto area population. And and the province is probably um, about another 50% on top of that. We're doing okay. We are at the uh, peak of the curve and we think we're starting to come down, but we've had 1,500 cases in Ontario and the number of um, deaths is high. So we're at about 900. And we are still having new cases every day. And so while we are near the top of that peak, we want to get fewer cases obviously coming in. And so the, the premier today was talking about opening up, but we are still weeks away from any relaxation on the uh, lockdown that we're under. We are able to go out and walk around a little bit outside, but the parks are all closed, only grocery stores. You know, I think very similar to what you're experiencing in Australia, but certainly the numbers are bigger. And we're also, Ontario is right next to uh, Michigan and New York, which are of course two of the most effective states in the US. And so we are, and there's a lot of cross-border traffic typically between the two countries. That's very much shut down except for essential services back and forth. It's something that we are watching and waiting for, especially in New York to get their situation under control. As you say, it sounds similar in some ways in terms of the restrictions. Touchwood, fortunately for us in Australia, we've managed to squash the curve pretty effectively, although watch this space for when some of the restrictions start lifting and then what happens. So we're all in a bit of a state of uncertainty, I think, across the globe. So then I'm wondering, with COVID-19, part of our conversation today is about governing in a crisis. How is this playing out for you in your boardrooms? And in fact, if you can tell us just a little bit bit about the organizations that you're on and how it's playing out in the boardroom for you. So I, I'm on the board of two very different organizations, or actually three very different organizations. The largest organization is Metrolinks, which is the regional rail and bus service. And that has been fascinating to be a part of. The COVID-19 uh, has huge impacts on transit and huge exposure to transit. And so 
Metrolinx, we have a fantastic CEO who organized his team very early on to have a crisis response and has actually been incredibly proactive. Uh, and I would say has been leading a lot of the other organizations in Ontario in many ways around the, the way that they have been dealing with things. They've been getting involved in helping the government with procurement, those sorts of things. And so that board, COVID-19 is a huge operational issue for us. The organization also oversees major construction projects for transit. And so that is another dimension. Construction projects have been deemed an essential service, and so they are still running. And so the safety of the people on the construction sites, as well as the operators that are getting those essential service workers to, to work, has been really, really, really important. And as a board member, it's been interesting because we have been getting almost daily briefings from the CEO on what is happening and the actions that they are taking. But for the most part, we're there to be cheerleaders right now. We're not there to get into the operational decisions. We are there to ask a few questions, but I would say that we are very much being led by the CEO and appropriately so. As we uh, come out of this and start to work with the CEO as they're making more and more strategic decisions coming out of this, uh, transit uh, ridership is down like 90%. The discussions we've been having at the board is what does that curve look like coming out of it? Where are the places we can be saving money? We have not announced any layoffs, thankfully, because we need everybody to get everything back up and running as we come. But that is a concern. How long can we go at sort of 10% ridership and how quickly will that recover? And we just, no one has a crystal ball. And I think there's some really difficult strategic decisions on how we are going to be able to manage this going forward. Being a crown corporation, our shareholder is the provincial government. And so that's also very interesting because obviously the provincial government, as I'm sure in Australia, you've seen similar things. The government has been doing a lot of things to keep people at work. And so they want to maintain the workers in, in the system so that the comeback can be as quick as possible. So the decision-making is not really just the organizations or the boards, but very much in con consultation with the government. So that's quite interesting the dynamics and, and understanding how that will all play out. But I think it will be a really fascinating ongoing conversation and the changes to normal operation around uh, safety. And luckily the, the organization has had a very strong safety culture. And so the number of infections has been extremely low within the population of our staff. But uh, what are those things going to be going forward? And so how are we taking care of our people and our customers is a huge conversation. The other two boards that I'm on are different. So Chemtrade Logistics is an industrial chemical company. It has a number of sites which tend for the most part to be in smaller towns sort of away from the main center uh, with one or two exceptions. We're supplying chemicals into water treatment so that's relatively stable but then we're also supplying chemicals into markets that are like oil and gas that are all over the place right now. And so we actually had to suspend our guidance because the um, CEO and his CFO and all of his team have been working extremely hard to try and understand what's happening. But being able to predict through the full year has proven virtually impossible. There's just so many changes. And what I have found really fascinating is um, I'm relatively new to this board, but the 
way that the entire economy and supply chain is so interconnected because we feed into pulp and paper. So pulp and paper is having a bit of a boom because of all the toilet paper that we're using and all the disposable masks that we're using and all of the, you know, the PPE that's paper-based. So that is actually the chemicals we supply into that industry. There's a lot of demand, whereas in oil and gas, where things are, uh, you know, really being dialed back, things are, are really slow. And so trying to balance across that portfolio and be able to predict what's going to happen and, and what timeline, having said all that, we are still running. All of our factories are running. We are managing safety. We are managing. We've had a couple of instances where people have tested positive with COVID. We've had to shut down temporarily a few of our smaller facilities, but we've been able to bounce back. And, and in terms of our operational challenges, those are low. It's more market management challenges. So quite different than the um, Metrolinx example. Mm. And then the third board is a not-for-profit that supports new startup companies in our region. And uh, they have basically gone from, it's all about bringing everybody together and putting them in the room and sharing knowledge to how do we do this virtually? Uh, so there's been a huge pivot in their delivery method. And we just had our board meeting last week and the CEO has done a fantastic job in pivoting. And our role as a board has been to look at some of the financial risks as sponsorship and uh, some of the funding may be less available. So what are the hard decisions? So we basically had a COVID version of the budget, which was kind of our worst case scenario and debated, do we sort of go with our budget as usual or the COVID budget? And we approved the COVID budget for the year saying like, if we outperform the budget, fantastic, but let's go with the most conservative. So the conversations have been different at all of them. But what I would say is that in all three, the CEOs are driving and the CEOs are doing a fantastic job and then communicating frequently with the board about the decisions that they're making. And the role of the board has been to ask good questions, to make sure that we understand what's happening, but for the most part to be offering our support and to be uh, cheering the team on and getting out of the way and making sure that we're getting enough reporting, but not bogging them down. Hi, everyone. It's Helia. I just wanted to pop in and say that just a few days ago, I had a conversation with someone from my inaugural board Kickstarter program. And she did the program a couple of years ago. And joining a board for her straight after that wasn't the right time. But she has just joined her dream board. And it came from a connection at my alumni dinner last year. So I, again, wanted to just give you the invitation. If you've been wanting to join a board and you're not sure where to start, the 2020 Board Kickstarter program will help you navigate it all. Super early bird prices close next Monday. That's Monday the 11th of May. So get in quick and come and join us. Links in the show notes or in the Take On Board Facebook group. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us there. Now back to the show. So I'd love to dig a bit further into that cheerleading role. It's a beautiful way of putting it. And I'm thinking, you know, firstly, often as directors, often as people, not just as directors of organisations, but as people, when a crisis comes, we have that urge to get our hands dirty and to get in and find everything out. So as directors, I think what I'm hearing is we need to resist that sometimes a little bit in these sorts of circumstances. So two things. One, I'm wondering how you manage your own 
urges in that way to get your hands dirty. And secondly, I'm also wondering in your role as cheerleader for these fabulous CEOs who are just getting on and doing the work, I imagine for a lot of CEOs, they are used to knowing what is happening and being the expert and being able to really predict and go, here's what I think we should do, here's my recommendation. At the moment, so many things are uncertain. It's very hard to have firm predictions about anything. So I'm wondering how your role as cheerleader is supporting them in a time when they are also working with so much uncertainty and not knowing what's going on. So I think there's two things. One is my own, um, I'll tell you about a conversation I had with the chair of one of my boards who actually called all of us just to check in and say, how are you doing? And I said, you know, I feel like this is such a crisis. I should be doing something. And that's my instinct is to say, you know, what can I do? And yet my rational side is saying, you know, there's really nothing we can do right now other than pay attention, be, we're all reading, we're all sharing information. And he said, absolutely, 100%, exactly right. We don't want to bog the team down and we want to be able to give them our advice and bring our expertise So at the various board tables, it's been really interesting to see which expertise is most helpful. So in some cases right now, financial expertise is highly valuable as it always is on a board, but understanding of the government programs that are available and whether or not we should be tapping into those for some of my boards, that's very relevant. In others, uh, especially for something like Metrolinks, the political, the people on the board that kind of understand the political decision-making and the political stresses is also very interesting and, and important. And so the, those, those are important voices. And so what I, what's been interesting is that all of those voices have always been there and all of those pieces of expertise have been there, but slightly different people are speaking up right now. And certainly the emphasis is different and the CEO can be best supported by bouncing ideas. None of us know, but the accepted wisdom around the table, what do you think? So one of the conversations at Metrolinks was, what do people think? Are people going to get back on the train when this is over? Or how long is that going to take to recover? Are people going to be in their cars because they don't want to get onto public transit? How much do we think that the work from home thing is going to stick And the feedback from most of the people on the board is that, yes, there will be probably be some change, some slowing, but the regional growth in our area is significant and people like to be together. And so uh, that over time, we do believe it's going to recover and the growth pattern of um, Ontario is going to continue which means the growth pattern for Metrolinx is going to continue as well. And so, but that was the kind of strategic longer term. And it was a place that I think the CEO could have those conversations and get the, the kind of collective wisdom of the people around the table, which helps them to sort of recenter themselves in their day-to-day decision-making that they're doing all the time. Because, of course, you know, whilst I presented it as a question in terms of the CEO always knows what's going on and they're the expert, of course, that's not the way in business at any time. And at the moment, it is just exacerbated or accentuated through a period of extreme uncertainty. But I guess in some ways, that's always there with any challenge in any organisation. It's hard to predict the future. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of it is, I mean, I do believe that quite often, and certainly in my case, all three of the CEOs, they do know their business better than anybody on the board. I mean, they are experts in their business. 
but sometimes there is that need to take a step back. And I think that's what the board allows them to do. And there are times that we ask questions that are kind of dumb and, uh, but it's good to, you know, to think about like how we thought about this and probably the CEO has thought about it a hundred times, but there is no such thing as a dumb question. And this is the kind of time when you actually want to be challenging some of the assumptions. So one of my good friends has been doing some very interesting work on strategy in a time of crisis. And we just had a strategy meeting for Metrolinx. I thought, oh, I'm surprised we're not canceling that. But actually, these are strategic decisions that we're taking right now because you are thinking about what is it going to be like in six months or a year while you're making the day-to-day. But you want to know where you're trying to get back to so that you don't actually inadvertently make a strategic decision by default. So it was it's quite interesting to think about every decision is actually, especially in a time of crisis, is often a strategic decision. So that is fabulous advice for boards around COVID-19. So I just want to switch tracks just a little bit, because I understand you had an interesting experience, shall we say, when you were on the search committee at one of your former boards, St Mildred's. Can you tell us about that? So I was an old girl. I don't think they call us old girls anymore. But uh, so I was a graduate of the school and had been on the board for a few years. And they were beginning a principal search. And uh, I was asked if I would chair the um, hiring committee for the principal. And um, I said yes, because I was pregnant and figured I'd have tons of time as I had my third child and was on maternity leave, it was a great time to take on a principal search, not really thinking through the logistics. And so when we were doing the interviews, uh, I was nursing my child and we would do the interviews. And then my husband would show up with my three children and hand me the baby so that I could nurse her in between the interviews. And so this principal search was absolutely tied in with um, my daughter, Christine, in some ways it was great because it kept my brain going and it kept me um, you know, focused on learning. And I really enjoyed the principal search. And I think that's where I really saw that the principal is the CEO of the school and what is it that we're asking for, but also what a strategic decision that kind of a hire is uh, for a board. And so it's such an important part. And it was a huge honor to be, to be chairing that committee. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot in that, but I did it yeah, I did it nursing every uh, couple of hours that my husband would show up again with a hungry baby. And I think it was it was good. It kept me um, kept me very grounded as well. Oh, Emily, there has been so many fabulous little pearls of wisdom in here for the take on board community. So I'm wondering what are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? When I think about the managing in a time of crisis, but really being part of any board, you really need to think about what it is that you as an individual are bringing and know that you're part of a suite of individuals with different expertise. A good board has a mix of people with governance knowledge, people with legal knowledge, people with financial knowledge, people with technology knowledge, all of these different pieces. And for me, I think one of my lessons of being on a board from that head girl type that I was at the, at, you know, as a young person was realizing that I didn't need to know it all. I needed to show up and bring what I had to the conversation. And whether that's dealing with COVID or whether that's dealing with any other part of the business, I think that's the, the most important 
thing is to own your expertise, own your competence, but also have respect and create time and trust for the expertise and the competence of the other people on your board. And that will be a great functioning board. You're going to learn a huge amount from being at that table, but know what your contribution is going to be to that, whether it is sharing the committee with a baby at your breast or whether it is uh, bringing in a technological discussion on uh, on how we might pivot um, a business. And is there a resource that you might like to share with the Take On Board community? One of my good friends is a, a woman named Rebecca Southerns, who is an excellent facilitator. And she's been posting some really great little videos on LinkedIn about this strategy in a time of crisis, and especially for not-for-profits. That's where she tends to do most of her consulting. And she talks a lot about these strategic decisions and sort of challenging yourself to be thinking strategically, even in the midst of this. And so she's a great resource. Oh, fantastic. We'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes so people can access it as well. And thinking about, you know, the Take On Board community, people are listening to this podcast. What do you suggest is the first step for somebody listening to this podcast? What's an idea for action? What should they be doing? Doing a little inventory of what it is that you're bringing. If you're not on a board, it's extremely important. You know, what is the value that you hope to bring and that you think you can bring? If you're already on a board, checking in and seeing, am I bringing the value I thought I was going to bring, or is there something else that's emerging uh, in the way that I'm interacting in the board? And being really aware of that value that you're bringing, or maybe you need to be bringing more value. Maybe where, where do I need to educate myself because there's a gap on the board? But doing that inventory, I think, is a really important part of your own continual development, but also will help you to be a stronger contributing board member. And get help from other board members on what they, how they think you're doing and where they see you contributing or from your friends, people that you work with. Because quite often you'll uh, start to recognize things you didn't even know that you were bringing as you get into these conversations. And most people who are on boards, I hope all people who are on boards come with considerable expertise, but sometimes when something has become easy for you, you start to devalue it a little. You think, well, everybody must have this. And if you kind of are reflecting on the conversations, you start to realize, oh, I knew something or I had some expertise and knowledge that the rest of the team didn't have. I actually contributed something that's interesting that I'm bringing something that I didn't think was that valuable, but maybe that is of more value. So I think that's something that I'm always doing. I'm always reflecting on what it is that I'm bringing to the table. Oh, fantastic. And it's, it is a great thing to do ongoing because you sometimes forget as well. So if you keep your little list of accomplishments and reflect back on it, you're like, oh yeah, that thing in 2015, I forgot I'd even done that. So it is a fantastic thing to do for reflection and, and remembering on those things. Oh, Emily, it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast today. So many valuable things for people to consider, not just in a COVID-19 crisis, but crises in the future or indeed in governance in general and the role of the board. So thank you so much for being on the Take On Board podcast today. Great. It was fun. Thanks so much. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. 
Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.